all-sufficient merit. I want to show you where we're going to land before we move through kind of the storyline of the sermon. We're going to be landing in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Let me read here for you. Paul says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends upon faith. Now, what I want to do is take us on a journey this morning that will just blow the doors open on those verses and the realities of what Paul is saying. It is a truly remarkable statement to hear from the Apostle Paul, remembering who he was before Christ met him and saved him. A Pharisee of Pharisees, a keeper of the law, disciplined beyond anyone in this room, guaranteed. This man was diligent to keep and follow every single thing he could find And yet, he calls all of that obedience and all of that pursuit rubbish when he holds up what is true and beautiful and truly righteous, the righteousness of his Savior Jesus. So, a bit of a journey this morning. I have bad news, and then I have worse news, (laughs) and then I have good news, and then I have amazing news, okay? Let's begin with the bad news. I always like to deal with that first. Bad news, we are not righteous. When I say we, I mean every single person in this room. Every single person on the earth. We are not righteous. Now, if you were to take a poll and ask people in our day, are you a good person? What, What would the response tend to be? Of course I'm a good person. Who who thinks of themselves as a bad person, right? That would be low self-esteem, and that's like the, the, the cardinal sin of our culture, right? Of course I'm a good person. Here's the question, though. How are we defining good, and, and who sets the standard that we are to compare ourselves to? Because anyone can try to feel good if they try to find someone to compare themselves against. I mean, you th- that's... That's just completely subjective. How do we understand how to even answer this reality? Am I righteous? Am I good? Well, the scriptures say, absolutely not. No, you are not. I am not. Left to ourselves, we are collectively not. Which then leads to the reality of, well, how good is good enough to go to heaven? What do I need to do in order to qualify, what, how much do I have to, 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 to perform and, and, and do of goodness to overbalance or outweigh the bad that I've done? Well, that's a pretty tough question to answer if you don't have a standard of good. Listen to what Jesus said. It was a fascinating little exchange that is so profound. I was struck by this as I studied this this week. Luke 18 Verses 18 and 19, a ruler, ruler of the Pharisees, asked Jesus, this is how he said it, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds and he says, 
Why do you call me good? And then he says, no one is good except God alone. Now, there's a lot happening in this, okay? First of all, just hear the statement from Jesus himself, the one we celebrate today. He just said, you're not good. He said, no one is good on this earth except God alone. You know the other thing that he's saying in this statement? I am God. This is a statement of Jesus' divinity. It's, it's a bold statement. In a sense, he's saying, it's, it's right that you call me good teacher, but it's right in a way that you have no idea about because I am God and I am good. These words fit me, but you can't just loosely throw these around. That's why oftentimes at funerals, we have to remember this. While it's right to remember and eulogize, yes, wonderful things. At the end of the day, the person that we recall and remember was not inherently good. They needed something that they could not provide, and that is righteousness. It's true of all of us here. God is, the, God is both good and the final standard of good. He's the one that sets the bar. All that God does is good and righteous, and I would add worthy of approval and, and, and adoration and awe. That's why it's, it's fitting for us to worship God, to ascribe to Him glory and praise, because everything He does is good. He is the one who defines good. If it is good, it must, must measure itself off of God. That's how we set the standard. It's not subjective. We don't look at one another and compare ourselves here. We look up and we say, you are good. And how do I find myself in comparison to that? And guess what? We come up lacking in a major way. Now, we might do nice things, good things according to the world. But even when we do those nice things and good things, they are riddled with selfishness, pride, subtle sins that can work in. And some of these, we don't even know that we're committing sins when we're doing these things. No one is good but God. We are created in the image of God, created by God, Genesis 1 and 2. Make that really clear. We are not the result of some cosmic slime crawling up out of a pool of goop and then deciding to become self-aware and grow legs and Evolve. How silly is this? Evolution is foolishness. You exist today because God made you. You exist today because God made you. And when He made you, He made you in His image, which means you're responsible. You are responsible to accord with the image you represent, and that is God. You represent God's image. The commission was to go and be fruitful and multiply, Adam and Eve, fill the earth. Fill the earth with what? Well, not with just kids, with the glory of God that you represent. You're to carry His glory, to image Him, be a reflector of His light everywhere across the earth. What did we do? Well, Genesis 3 tells the account. It was a a dark day. Adam and Eve rebelled against God. This is sin. This is rebellion. They took the image of God and turned it into something corrupt and dark. They failed the test, and we fell collectively 
things became very problematic at that point. The call is in Leviticus, as we journey through that book together a few, what was it, two years ago? You shall be holy, God says, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. That's the requirement that you have today. That, that's, that's, that's set upon you. You're an image bearer, then this is your responsibility. Be holy. Well, how holy? As the one who created you that you are to image and represent is holy. That means perfect. That means no sin. That means absolutely obedient and perfect, not just in action, but in motive, from the heart. Well, guess what? We don't do that. In Romans 3.23, we read this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In Isaiah 64, verse 6, we read this, We have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. So on your very best day, that moment when you're like, this truly must be good, pride will slide in and corrupt your greatest, most righteous moment and ruin it. The Pharisees were pretty clear examples of this. They were so tenacious in keeping the law. And what did it lead them into? Pride and judgment. They stood above others. They looked down on other people. Lord, thank you that I'm not like this loser over here. Look at this guy, but look at me. Oh, how hypocritical and unrighteous it is to walk in such a way. None of us are righteous. Romans 3 answers this with great clarity. Both Jews and Greeks are under sin as it is written. None is righteous. No, not one. Not in this room. Not a single one left to ourselves. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. Sorry about your self-esteem. Do you see why we need biblical categories to think about who we are? To think about what we need most? You can't just self-esteem your way out of this pit. We are sinners. We are rebels. It doesn't matter what we say is true of ourselves. It matters what God's assessment is. And His assessment today is we are sinners. We are unrighteous. Listen to the Word of God to chart the course for how you answer the question, are you a good person? In and of yourself, the answer is no. No one does good, not even one. Now, is that a message you hear a lot today? What? Where, where is that message? It's right here in the Scriptures. It needs to be in view. Friends, the good news is not good news until you realize how serious and dire our situation is. Bad news is what we woke up to today. But what about law-keeping? Aren't we supposed to be religious? Aren't we supposed to do things? Doesn't He want us to, to be good people and, and you know, help little old ladies across the street and, and be upstanding citizens in society? Yes, Let, let's, let's track this question out then. What about law-keeping? If we're not good people, why would he give us all these commandments? 
Certainly this is the way that we can please him and, and earn, earn access into heaven. How good is good enough? Well, I just try to obey as many commands as I can, right? Isn't that how we do it? Watch how this goes. Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. Okay? What's the standard of law-keeping that is required for God? Perfection. Let's say Dave here. How, how old are you, Dave? Can I ask? 64. 64. Let's, let's just hypothetically say that Dave Esser has lived his life with total perfect obedience. He's laughing, okay? And so are you. <laughs> I know, hypothetically. We know, Dave. We love you, Dave. Imagine, 64 years of obedience, perfect obedience. And then after church today, on the way home, someone cuts him off, and he gets angry. And he simmers how dare they do that on Easter Sunday? <laughs> and he drives up and honks in anger and he starts, you know, getting mad. And, and, then, and then James 2.10 rings in. You see what I'm saying? One failure to keep the law done. That's it. How good is good enough? You have to be perfect. That's the answer. If you fail at one point... You are accountable for it all. There's no one here in this room that can say that that's even close to true of us. Not a one. We go on to see that the law has a purpose. The law has a purpose. The law is righteous, let's be clear. It's not the law's fault. The law reveals God's righteousness. It points us to the way of, of rightness and, and, and righteousness. The problem is, is that it, it shows that we are unrighteous. Listen to how this goes in Romans 3. We know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped or shut up. Right? That, that, like, no one can boast when you come in contact with the reality of the law. Well, why? The whole world may be accountable to God. As the law goes out, look at this, for by works of the law, no human being. That's not just a few. No one, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. You remember Paul? He's like, I used to think I was a pretty good guy. And then the law showed up. And then I thought, well, man, that's a high standard. And the harder I tried, the more I revealed I was not righteous. The law has been given by God to reveal our sin, to show us we can't measure up. That's the whole point of the law. We are not God. We are sinners. We are unrighteous. We are not righteous. We are hopeless, hopelessly rebellious sinners. That, that is the reality. Left to ourselves, um, even our righteous deeds, as it were, are soiled with sin. We cannot supply what God requires. That is righteousness. We must be righteous in order to be in His presence. We can't do that. We need righteousness. This is our great need as sinners. 
What is required, we can't muster up. Even our greatest moment is, is, is a, a reminder that we're not righteous. So what do we do? Friends, this is why sinners cry out for a Savior. Not just a, 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 a co-pilot. Not just a little wisdom for the, for the day. Not, not just for some self-help, you know, affirm me, Jesus, love me, pat me on the back, tell me how good I am point out my number. No, we need Savior. We're hopeless and lost and absolutely unable to change our situation. We must acknowledge our need before we'll ever appreciate what has happened here. It's not just tradition. This is not just a fun family day where we all go to church and then make plans and do our thing. No, this is life and death. Eternity is on the line. We're not playing games. We need righteousness. We are not righteous. Worst news. We deserve God's wrath. Okay, so bad news. <laughs> We're not righteous. Even worse news. Because we are unrighteous, we are storing up wrath from the righteous God. Every moment we live and walk in our, in our own flesh. For you are not a God who delights, the psalmist writes, in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. So how good is good enough? You have to be righteous. Evil may not dwell with you. The, the, the boastful shall not stand before your, your eyes. And then he adds, and, and this is important for us to hear this. You hate evildoers. Well, God hates things? He absolutely hates things. He is righteous. If he were to not hate wickedness and evil, he would show himself to not be righteous. The degree to which you are righteous is the degree to which you hate that which is unrighteous. Think of a God who is holy, holy, holy. Think of his hatred for unrighteousness. You say, well, God loves the sinner but hates the sin. Well, here's the problem with that. He doesn't throw sin in the fires of hell. He throws sinners into the fires of hell. Sinners commit sin. He is set against the wicked, which means that you, when you walk apart from from His light, when you walk in the dark, when you walk in unrighteousness, you do not have a loving Father in heaven. You have an enemy, a foe, a judge, and an executioner eternally. This bad news just got a lot worse. Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. God is set against unrighteousness. He detests it. He opposes it. And He punishes it. Today, He's actively punishing. Waves of wrath roll across our nation. As godlessness is increasing and, and, and finding greater um, expression in our culture, God is judging and waves of wrath roll today and they will roll with fury throughout eternity. 
God's righteousness requires wrath. You've got to understand this. Well, I believe in a God of love. Yes, he is that. Tell me a judge who is not rightly bothered by heinous crime. No, he's just a a judge of love. Well, right, but what does he do to people who are evil and and, and murderers and, and who commit terrible crimes? Well, he punishes them, doesn't he? Because he loves He's a God of love. You see how they're woven together. A God who is righteous like our God is also a God of wrath. This is the God of the Bible. This is what the Bible makes clear is true of our God. He would not be worthy of praise if he went light on sin. It would deny himself. His goodness, his righteousness would be compromised. Romans chapter 2, 5, 6, and 8 for be, uh, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you, sinner, are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous, there's our word, judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. That means, in legal terms, retribution. You get what you deserve. That God is just, right? So what you store up, you pay for. For those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. And we know from other scriptures that that never ends. There is a place where God will punish those who walk in unrighteousness all the way to the grave and he will punish them in the fires of hell forever, consciously tormenting them in just retribution forever. This is our God, the righteous God, the holy God, the just God. Sometimes we are shocked when the balance of these things meets us in our time. We hear so much on the radio about God's love and his mercy and grace, and all of that is true. Yes, well, maybe not all of what you hear on the radio is true, clarify, but all of what God has revealed in his word about his mercy, grace, and love It's all true. But the reason it's glorious is because He is also this, a God of wrath and judgment and holiness. Where do you stand with Him today? So bad news and then worse news. Let's get to the good news. How about that? Jesus was perfectly righteous. I say was because I'm focusing on the 33 years or so that He walked this earth. It would be just as right to say is. Jesus is perfectly righteous, but for our sake today, we're especially looking at the 33 years of obedience that Jesus walked in perfection before the Father. John 8, 29, Jesus says, He who sent me, that is the Father, is with me. He has not left me alone. And then Jesus says something so remarkable, so spectacular. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Now, if I were to say that to you, what would, what would be wrong with that? It wouldn't be true. My family especially would know. <laughs> not, no, not always, Right? Jesus says this to his disciples. This is John writing. He heard it with his own ears. And he's not over there like, you're right. 
we, we know Jesus. We saw you yesterday after Easter when the guy cut you off, right? No. They saw it. They witnessed it with their own eyes. If ever there was a testimony that would have been undercut by the witness and firsthand testimony of the disciples, it would have been the sinlessness of Christ. And he's making this claim, and they absolutely agree. They saw it. There's no denying it. I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Matthew 3, 17. Behold, a voice from heaven said, this is the Father speaking down over his Son. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. If Jesus was walking in sin, that is an impossible statement to hear from the Father. A holy, holy, holy God speaking of his Son. 1 John 3, 5, John writes, You know that he, that is Jesus, appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. What a statement. Hebrews 4, 15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. This is especially encouraging. Our mediator, our great high priest, is not just up in the heavenlies saying, I wonder what it's like to go through what they go through. Jesus himself is saying, I know what you're going through. I know it's hard. I know the temptation. I know the pressure. I know the, the darkness. I know what that's like. I obeyed. I obeyed. Yet without sin. What an encouragement it is. He can sympathize with us in our weakness. Jesus, R.C. Sproul says, Jesus had to live a life of obedience before his death could mean anything. He had to acquire, if you will, here's our word, merit at the bar of justice. Without his life of sinless obedience, Jesus' atonement would, not, would have had no value at all. Think of this. Why? Because he would be atoning for his own sins. You can't pay for the sins of someone else if you're paying for your own sins. This is the problem, as we saw even on Thursday night, Maundy Thursday, when the high priest on the, on, on the, the day of atonement went into the Holy of Holies with fear and trembling. He was not just atoning for the people's sin. He was atoning for his own. Jesus, not so. When he laid his life down, he was paying the price that was required by a righteous judge in the heavens for the sins of all who trust in him. We need to see the crucial significance of this truth. We need to see that Jesus not only died for us, he lived for us. That's a profound statement. I love that. Jesus not only died for you, Christian, he lived for you in perfect obedience every single moment of the day he obeyed. Not just outside, actions from the heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He did it. He did that in perfection all of those years. I always thought it would be interesting to grow up with Jesus as an older brother. Can you imagine that? Who did it? Well, we know it wasn't Jesus. So which one of you other rascals over here? 
Oh, it's me again. Sorry. Just trying to be like my older brother. Oh, that would have been interesting. Everywhere we have failed, Jesus has succeeded. Oh, friends, hear that today. Everywhere we have failed, and oh, we have failed. Jesus didn't fail, not once. He obeyed. He succeeded. Now, it's not, I mean, that is good news. That is good news. But how does it connect to us? Okay, we're, we're still like, we're, we're unrighteous, okay? And we're under wrath. And okay, I'm, I'm glad that Jesus obeyed, but how does that meet me in the situation I'm in? This is the amazing news. This is where the good news gets mind-blowingly amazing. Listen to the amazing news. Jesus gives his righteousness. He gives his righteousness. Isaiah 53, 11, what a spectacular chapter. Great chapter to read on Easter. Here's one verse out of that. Out of the anguish of his soul, this is the Christ prophetically spoken of in, in the book of Isaiah, he shall see, Jesus shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge, shall the righteous one, Jesus Christ, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. Well, how does that work? How is it that Jesus' anguish and his sacrifice and all that he's gone through to pay for our sins, how is it that that can make sinners like you and me righteous? He shall bear their iniquities. Here's another glimpse at this glorious reality. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he, that is the Father, made him, the Son, to be sin who knew no sin. There's a clear Again, statement of Jesus' perfect obedience. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become what? The righteousness of God. This is, this is the fullness of God's accomplishment through his Son that we celebrate today. I call this the great exchange. So here we are, we are not righteous, we are walking in sin, we are storing up wrath, we cannot save ourselves, we're not even wanting the light. We see light and we run away, we don't, we, we don't want that. And in the moment that God saves us, there takes place this amazing exchange. All of my sin, every single sin I have, am, or ever will commit is taken and transferred upon his shoulders. He made him to be sin who knew no sin. Jesus takes all of my sin and in place, what do I get? I get all of his obedience. It's not just that the debt is canceled. It's that we are credited millions of dollars in obedience, as it were. His obedience is credited to my account such that now, in salvation, as I am in Christ, trusting in Him, God the Father looks at me and smiles. Why? Because He sees every obedience of His Son, Jesus, when He sees me. That's amazing news. That's amazing news. R.C. Sproul built it out really well. He said, the point of the gospel 
is that the minute a person embraces Jesus Christ, that is by faith, all that Christ has done is applied to that person. All that, uh, all that, he, be- is, is, uh, all that he is becomes ours, including his righteousness. At the very instant, I believe, I am just, or I had declared righteous by the Father, by virtue of the imputation or the crediting to my account of Christ's righteousness. It is Christ's righteousness that makes me just. His death has taken care of my punishment, and his life has taken care of my reward. So my justice, or the the declaring of me being righteousness, is absolutely, completely tied up in Christ. Do you see why it's so important that Jesus obeyed for us? He obeyed. Justification by faith alone, that is the doctrine that is in view here. It is justification or the declaring of righteousness by faith alone. I am not looking to anything I have done to give me right standing before God. What what is it that I bring to the table? Nothing. I bring sin and darkness and failures, and He brings everything. Hmm. Let's go back to the verse we started with. Listen to Paul now. And listen to these words. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. I count everything indeed as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. All of that righteousness, all of that law keeping, everything I used to bank everything on, I see it as garbage. It's worthless. It's rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends upon faith. You can't say it any clearer than that. What is your only hope in this life and the next? This is the answer, that Jesus took my sins upon Himself and paid them in full. The wrath is satisfied A holy God has been been appeased through the sacrifice of His only Son. And I am made righteous in Jesus. I am righteous. I am just. Simo ustus et peccator. That's how the Latin would read. The moment you are saved, you are declared righteous. At the very moment, simul, simultaneous moment, you are righteous and sinner. You're saint. You're a saint the moment you're saved. Declared righteous through faith alone. This parts the waters of religion, doesn't it? Every other world religion says you have to do something. You have to contribute. You have to bring effort, your work. It's what you do that gives you the standing you need. Or at least you have to bring some to the table. God will meet you halfway. You ever hear that? You do your part. He does his part. And then all the good stuff comes. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's not in the Bible. Roman Catholicism says it this way. It is faith plus works that establishes your final justification before God. That is heresy, and it's wrong. It's dead wrong. you got to hear that. 
What does the biblical gospel teach? It says faith alone. It is faith alone that equals our right standing before God. The declaration of our righteousness is instantaneous. And what follows that? Expressions of obedience. Joyful fruits of transformation. The works follow. It's the root that establishes the fruit. Faith alone. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. Paul just is so clear on this. It's so simple. And yet our world, oh, it's so easy because we are so inclined to this. Yeah, but I have to do something. What do I do? What do I do? Paul says, listen, this is not your own doing. It's by grace through faith. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of works. You can't boast. Now, the boasting thing really just is the, is the, the logical conclusion of God does the work. Okay? No one is going to stand on the streets of heaven and say, I deserve to be here. I, I mean, I have a, at least a reason to boast. I helped Jesus save me. I, I, I did good things. I went to Good Shepherd every single Sunday my entire life. Guess what? If you don't have Jesus, that is garbage. It's worthless. There's no value there. We bring nothing. Christ does it all. We are saved, my friends, by grace alone. What does the word grace mean? It means completely unmerited favor. It's, it's undeserved. You, if you are working to earn something from God, you have just denied His grace. We're saved by grace alone. We are saved through faith alone, which means that faith is not a work. you got to catch this. Faith is not a work that you do. You don't say, well, He does all the work, but I have to supply faith, and I have to do something. No, that misses the whole point. Faith is a gift of grace. He supplies even the faith that we employ in the moment of salvation. Otherwise, we could boast, well, I supplied the faith. No boast. Who is the object of our trust? Jesus Christ. Alone. Alone. Who gets the glory? Paul makes this clear over and over. Only God. Only God. He does not share His glory in the saving of sinners. It is His doing and His alone, and we have every reason to rejoice today. That's amazing news. R.C. Sproul, one last quote here. He said, The only means by which the righteous, righteousness and the merits of Christ can come into our accounts and be applied to us is by faith. Just trusting Jesus. You did the work. It's a gift. Thank you. We can't earn it. We can't deserve it. We cannot merit it. Let's go back to our song. I lay down my garments, any empty boast. Good works here, now all corrupted by the sinful host. I can take the law and ruin it. That's what sinners do. Good works now all corrupted. 
but I'm dressed in my Lord Jesus, a crimson robe made white, clothed in his righteousness. Clothed, I, I, I wanted a blanket here that was just white as snow so that I could robe in righteousness. He covers me in his obedience. Everything that I count on, he has accomplished. No more fear of judgment. His righteousness is mine. It is done. It's finished. Do you see the release this is? Oh, sinner, stop trying to do the work that Jesus has already done. You can't do it. Just run to him and bow at his feet and say, save me. No more debt I owe. Paid in full, all sufficient merit. His righteousness is now my own. You see why I love this song so much? What a spectacular display of doctrine. Our response this morning, I just want to ask you this. When it comes to your eternal future, whose righteousness are you trusting? I mean, you're banking everything on it. So if nothing more today, at least stop and allow me to drop a little pebble in your shoe that you will have to walk upon every day this week and be troubled by. If you reject everything else I've said, then at least ask the question. You have to ask the question. Whose righteousness am I banking everything on? For this life and for the next. And let me tell you, if you're looking to yourself, you're going to hell. And I say that as true and as loving and as graciously as I can. Don't do that. So many, tens of thousands, millions of people even, have run thinking that they were somehow good enough in their own righteousness and they are in torment today under the wrath of God. Hear me today. Forsake those spoiled garments Cast them off and embrace the robe of white in Jesus Christ. Trust Him alone and you will be saved. You will be saved, secure, held, righteous today. Titus 3, 5, and 6. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness. That's not the basis of the salvation we proclaim. How did he do it? According to his own mercy. It's a free gift. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God even now is working, stirring, prompting responses, accomplishing what you can't even do right in this room, even now. How did this come to us? He poured this out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. It's all in Christ. Everything's wrapped up in Christ. Everything you need. Let's pray. Jesus, we adore you. We say thank you for your obedience. Sometimes we fail to appreciate all the little moments that you obeyed. Everywhere we have failed, you have succeeded. All of our 
weakness, all of our rebellion, all of our stubbornness and hard-heartedness. Oh, Lord, help us reckon with the reality of our desperate situation. And, Jesus, help us to turn to you. I pray, oh God, even now that you would stir in hearts. If there's anyone in this room who came in without this confidence in you, Jesus, I pray through your Spirit now that you would open their eyes. Stir life and and joy and, and freedom in them. Save even now, oh God, and show the face of Christ. Grant the grace of faith to be placed in Jesus as Savior and Lord. You might say this, Jesus, I acknowledge that I am unrighteous. I cannot supply what is needed for my salvation. I turn to you. In faith, I trust you and all of your obedience and your sacrifice for my sins. Save me, O God. Save me from myself. Give me life as you have promised. Bring that righteousness that I need to me by faith, Oh God, make me your child. If you pray that today with hearts of faith and you are seeing the Christ who loves you and died for you, you will be saved. What a promise. God, thank you for saving me. I didn't deserve it. There's nothing I could have ever done that would have qualified myself for the glories of heaven. But I am confident that I am yours and I am held and I will always be yours because of you, not because of me. We delight in you, Jesus. We worship you now and we sing this song for your glory. Be glorified, O Jesus, our Savior, our joy, our treasure, our hope alone in this life and the next. Amen.